uh, met the Norwegian knowledge keeper Einar Selvig, the Bob Marley of contemporary Nordic animism. I totally left the interview with a feeling that his angle on Nordic animist practice is so rich that you know you could make a whole video or a whole interview about just one single topic. But I'm just going to preface my interview with Aina here with one iconic example of the kind of impact that uh, his work has. And that is the song Helvegen, which has become rather a cultural phenomenon. Here's a, a cover version from uh, Katrina Steinbeck from Kalandra. Aina calls out this haunting image that express our rupture from tradition. It is the dead soul asking for someone to sing for it as it wavers in limbo because of our loss of those ancestral funerary songs that are supposed to lead the soul across as I walk the path of death. Who shall sing me to my rest when those forebearers tracks I tread have gone so cold, so cold, right? We have lost those songs, but the singer reaches down and tastes the bitter drops from the All Father's Pledge. He summons up the ancient song form of the Galdalag to accompany the song across the Gjalla Bridge. And in front of the gates of the other world, he charms release on the soul that is lost and bound and blesses the soul with the words of the Havamal itself that all dies, but some of our related lists lives on. You motherfucker! <laughs> song simultaneously gives us an image of lost tradition while by direct invocation the song lends itself as the cure that leads the soul across and people use it as cultural healing uh, in funerary rites for instance when somebody has died or coping with loss and sorrow and so on. So yeah, my intention for this interview was to try to bring out some of the ways of practicing that gives Aina Selvig's work this incredible impact. And of course, there's a simple bottom line, which is that he works from animism, and that's why he's a powerful dude. Um, but yeah, let's just listen to himself going a bit more into detail with all this. Great, so this is Einar Selvig, the uh, anchor person and founder of Vadruna, um, a Norwegian musician, knowledge keeper, and, uh, and so on. Um, yeah, I've always, um, I've always thought that there was something like deeply animist about the way that you work. And uh, also when, when I've heard you talk here and also the couple of times we've met, I actually think that well, it seems to me that that it's 
it almost seems to me that you are uh, finding something that looks like traditional knowledge scholarship with, from a, I guess, pretty unschooled background. You're not a scholar uh, no, no, no. of education. But not at all. But it really, it really looks like, uh, to my eyes, your way of thinking and your method looks like the kind of stuff you would find at indigenous knowledge conferences and that whole kind of thing. So, but yeah, I, I guess I have a, a multidisciplinary approach to it. Uh, well, I, I don't like to climb into trees that doesn't have roots. Yeah. Uh, so, standing on solid ground before going into the the processes that are more. Uh, uh, more connected to my musicianship and, uh, and as a composer, I am, yeah, standing on solid ground before venturing into to those things is important for me. Um, and, and I guess in, uh, yeah, in, 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 on many different aspects, and as you say, yeah, animism and um, it has been part of my my own personal path, uh, yeah, since young age and but also it being reaffirmed uh, reconfirmed um, through my work as well you know it's in my view uh, nature is a pre premise of, of uh, creating uh, all culture yeah. all tradition that's mm. where it starts that's what ch chisels it out and, and, and basically makes it mm. um, the resources in a place, the people. Um, yeah. Uh, yeah. So how how a, it's such an important premise for for how a culture is developed, how a tradition is developed. So uh, of course it's a, an important part of, of that also. But also what what makes so many of these older things uh, resonate yeah. today as well, because that's I guess the the I guess the most important part is because. For me, it's not in my work. It's not about uh, recreating music mm -hmm. from mm -hmm. from any specific time period. It's it's here and now. Yeah. Uh, it's about taking something old uh, and creating something new, something old that is still relevant. And yeah, which is a, like I would think about this as a as, as a dialoguing with the past rather than, for instance, mm. uh, observing. A specific thing in the past, yeah, or measuring, or, yeah. or sort of uh, categorizing, yeah. or, or it's it's yeah, it's okay. dialogue. It's yeah. um, and and that's what you see also. That's why people connect to it, mm. and that's a that's a good parameter mm. in a way um, yeah. of of um, whether or not you, you deem something as um, authentic. Certain things are timeless, you know, and, uh, and what I makes mean, it timeless, timeless is the ability to, to resonate with yeah. people. I mean, no shit. Mm. When you arrived back at the place, people were clapping. I mean, it seems to me that you have basically spearheading, you basically spearheaded something that almost looks like a movement of, I don't know if you can call it an animus turn or, and here we're, here we're sitting at the Midgårdsblod, which is, it, it feels a little bit like, it feels a little bit like you, 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 have, you have scratched a little hole in the world and, the, and, and a lot of what's flo flowing into our culture is, for instance, manifesting in this place here. Well, I, I think I'm just voicing something that that I myself wanted. I wanted to hear things like this. I wanted these things to be um, 
these themes to be dealt with on their own premises rather than just cherry picking and, and, and uh, uh, yeah, borrowing bits and pieces. Yeah. Uh, and I guess, and that's what people say to me as well when, when seeing us live or, or when meeting our music for the first time that it, it's like, um, that it, uh, it's like remembering something you've always known in a way. Uh, but didn't know was there, uh, and that's the that, that's yeah. the part of us that is part of everything that's speaking to you. Uh, the and part it, that was all, it's we who left. Mm -hmm. You know, nature is uh, has always been yeah, here. Yeah. Um, it's always accessible yeah. to us, and and uh, and in our our modern society, we are so detached from that. Um, in our little square and I, I think there is such a profound longing for for gateways <laughs> to connect with these things yeah. and, and and our music uh, is one of those gateways yeah. uh, gateways I guess the and contemporary bridge yeah. to the past and when you talk with uh, different indigenous uh, uh, peoples what what they're saying they will basically be saying what similar to what you say that that the landscape is there it's in the landscape yeah. it's and and uh, I heard a story for instance from the Mi'kmaq in North America mm. they were reclaiming their their ancient culture they had a powwow and then there were eagles flying in circles above the drum circle mm. um, and then uh, afterwards they were they were telling the uh, the researcher uh, they were telling him well that was the eagles greeting us back it was the, their logic was the landscape never stopped being big micmac. Mm. The humans had just kind of figured out something else, but then they were so the landscape was basically saying welcome back. Well, uh, I was told a story today uh, from an interview I did um, where I was shown a picture from right before we went on stage, where a flock of geese oh, yeah, flew so over in the shape of a W. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I saw that. I saw everybody was just like, whoa. <laughs> Which is pretty, yeah. Uh, yeah, it, yeah, it's like that. But but that is, you know, that that those, those experiences where you feel so profoundly that you're connected to this, mm. that is, I guess, for, for me personally, that is what it's about. Yeah. Uh, those, that, that, because it's there, how nature speaks through you, mm. what it tells you in its sim symbolic language. Mm. So, um, so I guess, yeah. I guess figuring out how how you filter the mm. the world is is part of connecting to it as well. Mm. How does it speak through you? What mm. what does it what does that flock tell you? Mm. Yeah. Um, so yeah. be be a, an observer. Go back mm. and sit on the mounds. Go yeah. back and visit the waterfalls yeah. and, and get to know nature again yeah. and what it does to you. Yeah. And I think that this this uh, connective perspective, when I've been reflecting on a lot of our uh, ancient tales, cultural symbols, uh, mm. the, the the motive of breaking connection and then what happens, collapse perhaps, or breaking connection and then re regaining it. Uh, the most beautiful example is, uh, or one beautiful example is the Norwegian tale, Kvitebjörn Kong Valamon, mm. where the human wife, she breaks connection with her bear prince and then the story is about how she re regains the connection, mm. where 
in some of the tales, like the South Scandinavian mermaid tales, there's a break in connection, but then the world collapses. Mm. The human, the human woman turns away the, the, the sea spirit man, and then the world collapses because of the loss of connection to the, the sea spirit. Um, yeah. Anyway, I, uh, there was a specific thing that you say, which I find to be very, is like very purely, very strongly animist. And that is that where many artists would typically say, uh, what I'm doing is something that comes from my inside. Uh, you say it comes from the landscape. Uh, and I think that's, <laughs> yeah, it's, I think it's a very strongly animist position to have on your expression that it's something that, that, uh, that its origin is in the landscape. Can you, uh, can you perhaps share something about how do you, how do you get that to happen? How do you get the, uh, songs out of the, out of the landscape or formations in the landscape or? Simple. There is no difference. I am the landscape. Uh, so it, it is really simple, but you have to, you have to also, you have to ask for it. That's yeah. the first thing. Yeah. Uh, you have to be open to it. Mm. Uh, and, and yeah, hunt it. Hunt songs uh, is definitely part of uh, my, my work and, and tapping into, um, yeah, t tapping into to certain places and and of course this is this is something we 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 don't have much traces of of this uh, explicitly in terms of songs in 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 Norwegian tradition. Uh, we have examples of it in in fiddle tradition, like you you uh, or or other forms of wisdom that you 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 go to. Uh, whether it's uh, 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 communicating with nature spirits or, or with, uh, with ancestors uh, and so on. Uh, in, but in the, in the Finnish and Karelian tradition, which of course is uh, it's much closer in time, they, they preserve that tradition um, uh, for, for a much longer time than we did. And they are our neighbors um, and, and uh, it, it's... Uh, it's Fair ground to do comparison. Um, in, sure, they in, in the same lands landscape. <laughs> a, ab absolutely, and and so many other things have been borrowed both ways, um, and and there you have, especially in in in, um, in terms of like the folk medicine, in in healing work or or yeah, th this tradition of of um, of uh, uh, yeah seeking songs that that. Uh, yeah, if you want to cure the snake bite, you need to know the song of the snake, um, and so on. That this idea that I guess you find in all animist traditions around the world that every everything has a sound, everything has a, its own unique song, and 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 learning that by observing, by asking for it, by um, so when people say they do it it comes from the inside or it if it comes externally it it's both mm. it's everything there is no maybe, I, uh, maybe it's in the relating yeah in, in in the bond but also it's in it's it, it you know the tapping into that place in yourself 
where you are everything you know that that little ginnunga gap that little void of of creation the gap of creation where where you are everything and everything is you where you are god that is where you have the you know sorcery it's about two things mainly it's about finding something out some form of knowledge or it's about altering something and if you truly believe and truly think that you're going to alter something without actually being in that void mm. yeah that's not happening mm. so that is that is uh, in my view and in my experience the the where where that potential lies of connection that that place in you that is um this tree mm. we are sitting on mm. um that's when you can truly communicate as well yeah. and and absorb mm. uh, and that's a work of patience it's a work of of endurance um but you know mm. everything anything that yeah. holds a true value holds a true cost mm. and and i i think today we are we want the quick fix mm. we want to go to the weekend uh, workshop and and become shamans mm. yeah yeah uh and and uh it doesn't work like that no, no. um then you will you will never do anything but scratch the surface you were talking about uh the horns and for instance the lures mm. that that you're using that are these incredible are they 5000 years old the the their the archaeological originals or um, yeah well yeah uh, perhaps not that old three and a half four thousand okay yeah so uh, and some are a bit younger we have, there are several different findings um, throughout the whole bronze age period uh, Scandinavian bronze age period um, yeah there are there are interesting uh, instrument types for several reasons um, they tell us something about uh, authentic uh, tonality basically because it's an instrument type that is fully locked to a specific tonality uh, to a specific scale uh, because it's an overblown instrument so that means uh, it's the length of the instrument that define how many tones you are able to create and it's the strength of, uh, that determines how high you go in in, in pitch and the notes you produce is what you call the nature tone scale or the overtone scale um, harmonic scale I, i guess is the the musical term for it um, it's a living tradition of using them uh, at least in norway and sweden uh, which is pretty special for 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 an instrument that goes it's pretty rare yeah. Uh, in, here in Scandinavia, um, it's an incredible cultural continuity. Yeah, it is, uh, and and of course these uh, these Bronze Age lures uh, that that are primarily found in Norway and Denmark, primarily Denmark. That that's where the the, the concentration has been, uh, and and a couple in Sweden, I think. Um, but um, they are definitely the most elaborate. Uh, and and the most yeah special ones they always come in pair and the shape is we think that they are they are made to mimic the horns of 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 the ancient aurok the the ancient um, bison that used to roam 
mm. here in Scandinavia and in, in Europe. Um, and um, what about then the circle on them? <laughs> yeah, they, they, all of them have a, have a disc. And, and of course, um, since I own, uh, me and one of my colleagues, Owned yeah, motherfucker. Yeah. <laughs> we we got to uh, we had uh, built um, uh, some replicas of these, uh, and of course they are made uh, in in a modern practical way because we have to be able to disassemble them uh, and and travel with them. So <laughs> they are hu huge instruments that we need to to have in a practical form, and that that means that the the huge disc that. Many have postulized this is basically just ornament uh, um, that is also detachable on our our. And um, interesting thing is that when you uh, that is definitely not there just for show. Uh, it uh, you 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 sense it totally changes the the quality of the instruments when you remove the disc. It it projects the sound in in uh, in a much. Uh, yeah, in a very, in, in a very uh, powerful way, and and I guess the, my point is that this is this is high culture. This is not primitive people making primitive instruments. The, in Denmark, there has been a project. They spent millions of of uh, kroners in in trying to replicate, trying to make them in in the lost wax method, which was the originals. Were used uh, were made uh, in in the same manner, and and they are actually not able to make them as sophisticated, huh. as light, as uh, strong. Um, incredible. So incredible. We also see that uh, the the mouthpieces they evolved throughout the time. So the the youngest uh, um, the youngest ones <coughs> they they have a really like what what you would. Basically, these instruments is, is if you go to the top brass instruments makers for symphonies and stuff today, uh, this is this is the quality of the bronze lures basically in the mouthpieces. In so this is it's really fascinating to, to see. Um, Incredible. And also the 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 thing with um, uh, the thing with them, the, the fact that they all, always come in a pair also suggests ritual use. Uh, because it, it opens up and it allows uh, uh, con continuity in sound, basically, which is such an, uh, a central part of ritual music, whether or not it's Christian music or, or from, from other cultures, having a continuity in sound, having a drone, having not breaking the, the tension uh, of yeah, the atmosphere. Yeah. It, the sound is impressive. Uh, it is. I, re I remember when I was like, Back in the 90s, you remember probably Hedning and I when they were playing. I yeah, yeah. I remember going to one of their festivals, like painted all over my face, like like these guys out there, and we were like, yeah. And they went on the scene, and they just went <laughs> with these things. Wow, man. Yeah, they, they, yeah. You feel it in the in the stomach, yeah, basically yeah. in the in the gut. Um, yeah, also. Play, playing them it, and, and trying them out in different spaces, trying them out outdoors. You see see the ornaments, the uh, rattle in the wind, and, and yeah, you you can easily imagine yourself back. Yeah. Uh, and also in terms of 
polyphony, you know? Did, did they play uh, in harmonies and such? And, and intuitively, you don't have to, to play together more than 10 min, uh, uh, more than a few, few notes basically before you hit polyphony, uh, hit tones that just, whoa. Uh, so I'm, so, I'm quite sure that yeah. that uh, it, people. I think uh, we, we we tend we Scandinavians we tend to underestimate or a lot of people underestimate the the quality of the culture we had before Christianity. It's, there seems to be this idea that people were smashing rocks together and singing. Yeah, yeah. Ooh, yeah. Ah, yeah. Yeah. And, totally. And, uh, and it's just not the case. Yeah. Uh, we, it was such a rich, yeah. evolved culture. I would say it's the opposite. Totally. I would say we, we, yeah. we lost so much nuance, mm. uh, so much uniqueness yeah. in like that transition. You, totally. Like you mentioned at the, uh, the lecture you held here earlier, you mentioned the poetry. Yeah. Like, uh, I remember the uh, professor Jens Vango at the University of Copenhagen, he said, he said that probably uh, pre-Christian West Nordic Skaldic poetry might be the most advanced, single most advanced kind of poetry mm. that humanity has ever produced. Yeah. Probably. He, he probably don't know every single culture. But yeah, it's, just, yeah. it's just an expression. This is an incredibly learned man who would say that this could be the case. Like that level of sophistication also means today. I mean, as far as I know, there would be p perhaps a handful of people in the world who was basically were able to read Skaldic poetry in a, in a fairly fluent flow and all Icelanders and professors or some, something like that mm. but so it's just to say yeah extremely s levels of yeah and, and their ability to to uh, to handle abstract images mm. uh, like in in the highest form in in Drottskvæt, like the highest most complicated form of, of uh, Old Norse poetry, you, you you have an image on top of an image on top of an image. So de deciphering those images is like you you. Well, a skull could offend the king, and and the king wouldn't know until a few days after when he had totally yeah, yeah. Gone, gone through it all. You know? Was that Egil Skalakut Grimson who yeah. offended uh, Eric the Blood Axe or something like he, that? He, he did it in a very sneaky way the, in Hodlers and the, there are small stings yeah. there all, yeah. all the time. But <laughs> but but it, you could interpret it both ways mm. basically. It's very open-ended, uh, both as being totally ridiculing uh, as well as praising. That is so fucking cool. I, I'm cool like what kind of balls do you have to be a skull and stand in front of a king whose name, by the way, is Eric the Bloodaxe, and then you uh, you uh, basically offend him, so that becomes part of his legacy for the next <laughs> thousand years. Yeah. <laughs> he, yeah. <laughs> but uh, anyway, um, you also spoke. I found that super amazing uh, in, in the lecture you just gave. Gave your, you spoke about the um, the ways that these hor horns both the lures and the goat horns, that they were actually uh, used for communicating with animals, so that you... you yeah, yeah. Uh, they, well, animals and humans, uh, they were means of communication. I would say that the, the lures and, and also horns that doesn't have playing holes, uh, they were mainly outwards reaching, or at least more predominantly uh, sending. 
uh, scaring predators when you were up in the in the mountain dairy farms and so on. Um, uh, yeah, you you um, um, yeah they they had this thing where where um, they would call back also up in the out in the pastures they would call call the instruments back uh, every every night uh, to to milk them and um, and the way they did it was that uh, during the winter time whenever they they milked the animals they they would play certain songs so so the, the animals got accustomed to it and and of course if you if you're a, if you're a cow in in the uh, who have been eating in in the field the whole day you 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 want to you want to get milked <laughs> at, at yeah. some point so they are waiting for that sound mm. uh, and and yeah it's a very smart smart way of doing it um, and and also uh, we like the goat horns the or cow horns where you have playing holes as well that's a tradition we at least can date back to 400 BC based on archaeological findings that is a long time ago it is um, and and these uh, instruments seem to be more connected to calling um, but also communicating they 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 knew that out in in the pastures or they, they knew that they would be in audible distance to the next pasture so they could send messages um, like simple melodies connected to to specific type of, of messages um, and also in, in terms of animals the the, the um, there is this old poem saying that the, the bear hates the sound of the long lure but he loves the sound of the goat horn um, and 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 because it, it pulls you in it, it the sound of it it has this really melancholic longing sound to it um, when you just played it here back uh, I, the association i got was was the situation from Ponya um, mm. where uh, the subterranean people are calling calling ah, yeah. her yeah, yeah, so yeah, yeah. very kind of uh, very uh, yeah luring yeah uh, like mermaids otherworldly uh, yeah, like other, sirens yeah, yeah. It, it has a siren quality to yeah. it um, uh, but I think I think it's like the fact that these horns that they can have these two qualities, they, the the long lure will mm. scare away the bears. Mm. The the other ones will call them in. Mm. I think that that would probably have been also uh, applicable in ritual situations mm. for other other than humans than animals. Or Absolutely, and and this we see in the the song tradition uh, also connected to the dairy farms in the mountains where you project uh, we have this song tradition called uh, kulning or lock song uh, and and this is a word mentioned in for instance when 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 the, in the description in eric uh, in eric uh, the reds saga um, the description of the sad ritual there there is is um, this song called vardlokur uh, the, the the warden um, yeah calling the warden wardens or guardians uh, and and uh, the tonalities of this type of singing is very much connected to to the goat horn melodies it's basically the same melodies and when we look at the names as well we we have like the spirit calling spirits calling animals also they use this type of 
So it, it seems to have had both the, the ability to, to call on the supernatural um, as well as, as, as yeah. animals. Yeah. I mean, that would also make sense in, in, a, in, a, in an animist or magical way of thinking that if the lure scares away the, the bears, then it probably also scare, scares away dangerous spirits that you don't want in, for instance, a ritual space or something like it, that. It's a logical thought. So, yeah. And, uh, cool. Um, is that something you ever uh, uh, apply explicitly or that's something you feel like sharing if, if you apply these uh, warding off or invoking uh, qualities of these instruments specifically in your in your music mm. absolutely yeah absolutely I, I, <laughs> yeah 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 no uh, undoubtedly why not yeah. that's what they're there for yeah. uh, so uh, and th they have that ability so so strongly within them so of mm. course I, I utilize that. Uh, in my work as well, um, added value is added value, and 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 I try and in my songs I, I put as much as possible in in uh, in uh, uh, intent in uh, uh, yeah heart emotion uh, yeah de depending on on what it is I'm. I'm I'm talking about or what it is I'm giving voice to of course it has to make sense mm -hmm. uh, but but uh, but it's definitely a, a, a thought I, I carry in, in, in whatever I'm doing I guess. Cool. The, uh, you were talking about the um, the Runo Laulut right the, the, <coughs> the Finnish and Karelian listening to songs in, in yeah. plants and all this stuff. I was wondering do you have any uh, do you have any idea if there's been uh, that specific idea has been similarly here in in, uh, in the western part of, of Scandinavia. Well, uh, perhaps not uh, not that I know of as, as songs necessarily, or or not like uh, in in sorcery that not that elaborate, and and we don't know in the same manner. Um, uh, we don't have sources on it uh, apart from. Well, the fiddle tradition, there is definitely some uh, some folklore in in where we're communicating with nature spirit to to uh, to learn to play ecstatic, magical songs. You know the the songs that the, where basically in in legends the fiddlers couldn't mm. stop playing, uh, the people couldn't stop dancing. They were outlawed melodies. They were um, uh, yeah, and and the meaning, tuning meaning the cool shit. <laughs> yeah, the, the the good stuff, uh, and and had a very specific uh, tuning tuning way, and it's basically the oldest preserved um, uh, fiddle uh, tunes in in uh, Norwegian uh, traditional music. They they these type of melodies are said to have have origin in in these meetings. With um, with nature spirits, where where we, where you have to bring a gift on on um, um, uh, uh, like um, one one case, it's a it's a, it's a, the thigh of a a, a, a lamb, where you have to uh, 
it should be stolen. It's um, oh, it has to be stolen. So yeah. you have to go and steal a lamb. Oh, you motherfucker! <laughs> and, and you have to go three Thursdays. Yeah, yeah. Um, and uh, there is this example where where um, uh, the person doing it cheats because he's a bit hungry. So he starts eating the lamb and just throws the bone into the waterfall to Fossegrimen. That's the spirit's name. And and then when when Fossegrimen uh, comes, he he says that um, I'll teach you the tuning, but yeah. but not uh, but not how to play yeah, it. Yeah. I mean that that particular story. I just love it. This <clears throat> that because it's it is so sort of it's not it's not hippie animism. It's hardcore animism. You go and basically create a governant with with a, with a landscape spirit that gives you the, the capacity to to uh, produce trans trans music. I mean, but also sitting um, sitting uh, under a. Waterfall is trans-inducing, you know that sound. You know it when you hear it in small doses. It's it's a wonderful sound. Sit there for a few hours. It's going to be pretty painful. Uh, it penetrates you like knives, uh, and and your mind becomes desperate of finding a system because of the white noise. So there is a sense of logic in there, where where that is actually what you do. Your your mind is searching for. For melody or or some rhythm or something to cling on to, um, and and so yeah, that's sensory deprivation, deep shamanic yeah. practice. Absolutely, yeah. absolutely. Awesome. And and um, there, so, aren't yeah. any, there aren't any waterfalls in Denmark. You guys have all the cool shit, all the yeah. all the bears in the big forest. Well, we have lures, lures, but we also <laughs> <laughs> fuck you. <laughs> We don't have any waterfalls, so <clears throat> no. Um, out, in relation to th to singing, the uh, the word rune laulut of course means rune singing in Finnish. Mm. <clears throat> My impression is that the word rune is actually related to singing in specific traditions. You see it in in the Sami. Um, the name for the Sami drum is in Norwegian is rune bomma, yeah. which I perceive it. You know, it could mean that there's paintings on it that are strange signs, but it could also be a drum you are ruining with. Yeah, uh, uh, yeah. There are many, like one seven, uh, uh, one description from the 1700s is is that rune uh, is is to is is that what you mumble or what you mm. conjure while doing the drumming. Yeah. So the song you sing. The magical song you sing, so it is basically. Uh, it definitely has a, has has that meaning of of, of being a, a magical song yeah. uh, in Norwegian language. Uh, uh, up until quite recent times, uh, I think you. I think uh, when you when, when you read the the Hormal and the Runatal, uh, that interpretation is also possible in, in some of the verses actually definitely and it, it, we need to you know whenever uh, the word is used because in in, in 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 the language at that time when it was written down the word had several meanings you know it could refer to the writing system it could mean a secret it can mean wisdom esoteric wisdom it can mean a secret hmm. you know uh, it can refer to singing um, and of course also 
what, what some runologists are, are saying the root of the word means, ru, is create sound, which is, of course, logical. Yeah. Um, that's what letters do. Mm. Um, yeah, no, but, but yeah, the, the word has definitely um, the meaning of, of, mm. of song here as well at some point, but yeah. uh, lost to our, to our contemporary culture. Cool. Let me ask you one more thing about runes, and then I'll see if I delete it afterwards because I'm in principle I'm a little bit against <clears throat> talking too much about runes. It's difficult. Um, it's murky territory. It is. It mm. is, and it's difficult because the, there's so many people talking about runes so much. Even though it's it says explicitly in the Havamal, if you want to learn runes, the first thing you should do is not talk about it. Mm. <laughs> Basically, but um, also. The more you learn about runes, the more you understand how little we know yeah. Yeah. about runes. Yeah. Yeah. I've been thinking of, of, of runes with the uh, analogy, perhaps, of a pattern of creation. A, uh, some sort of uh, symbolisms that are, in, in a sense, paths into into, well, perhaps into basically the Ginungagab, the, 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 uh, the deep uh, the, 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 de the depth of created world and if you have something like Runo Laulut, the, uh, the, the um, mushroom there is actually singing, it's telling you what it can do, uh, then that, that, that could be seen in that light. It's uh, as a created thing, it's, its song is an expression of its, its ruining is an expression of its deep nature or something like that. Now I'm just kind of articulating, perhaps actually for the first time, some uh, of, of my sort of perception of this. How, how, would, how do you think about runes in relation to stuff like these runolaulus or, um, or engaging landscapes? And, and Ooh, uh, But man, if you don't want to answer, if we I think it's uh, I, I think it's a very difficult and uh, it's something you know it, it's it's a part of there are many things you can which is easy to discuss about runes uh, and and there are also I I think that part of the esoteric you know there is definitely something there which is uh, mirroring something uh, that we are very far from fully understanding about that. that I can at least say that and, and say that uh, subject, subjects like this is something I've changed my mind uh, drastically several times in my cool. process of working with uh, runes. I, I've oh fuck! I've never changed my mind. I'm, I, I'm, I think I'm probably. Yeah, there's probably me who's at fault there. <laughs> I have you, I, yeah. no. Uh, for me, cool. work, working with the, the runes through music mm -hmm. uh, has been almost like a. It's felt like an initiatory journey because mm -hmm. I go so much into each and every one. You mm -hmm. know, feeling um, because the creative concept I, I work with is so much about getting as close as possible to or interpreting a thing as close as possible on its own premises 
where I am the instrument and they are the composer, so to speak. And, and of course, then it becomes a... Uh, yeah, you go really, really into it. Uh, you dream it, you, um, or I dream it, uh, I eat it. I, that's what I do when I'm in these, these uh, creative spells, or, or, or was when I was working with, with the runes specifically. Um, and, and I have to say that during that, that period of 15 years, deep diving both in, into the, the, the academic parts of it, the esoteric parts of it, the, the trying to understand. And I have to say that I, I've, there have been valleys where I, I have totally disregarded one and the other uh, several times and, and rediscovering in a totally different way. And, and I don't know, it, it's... Um, yeah, it's it's difficult to give an answer that yeah. makes any sense to, to yeah. people. I think, yeah. um, because I, I I have a principle where that when I'm so undecided, I don't articulate it either, because yeah. I want to stay open. Yeah, I I know I haven't figured the solution, mm. so mm. I I I, I mm. choose to just be. Yeah. I don't know, cool, but man. there is something like there is yeah. something out there. Yeah. I know that. Yeah, what it is. And if we think about runes as uh, like hearkening um, back to what you were also articulating uh, before, if we think about them more as questions or mm. paths of thinking, then the question is how decided do you ever get if they are if they are a path of knowledge, a stream of knowledge development, or uh, where the questions are, are really sort of. Uh, they're the movement in the stream. They're what creates the movement in the stream. Um, I, I, I love these rune riddles, these uh, yeah. these uh, uh, these small proverbs. Where, of course, the pragmatics and and some scholars would say, well, they are just made like that to to so you learn what sound they create, and they are of course correct um, in in a sense. But um, we also know that you, there is undoubtedly. Uh, an esoteric tradition around runes, around um, and, and of course, um, you have to remember the context of which this was a part of society. That was an oral society, and there you suddenly you you are able to manifest words, words which are so powerful, you know, potentially, mm. so harmful, so healing, potentially. Mm. And suddenly you can manifest it. The masters, specific people with specific skills could suddenly yeah. turn, turn words into stone and they are there forever. If that is not magic in a society which is oral, then I don't know what is magic, yeah. how it's perceived. You, you cannot put our Harry Potter no. glasses on no. and, and think that, that our perception of magic is the same as one thousand years ago. No. It's it's a totally different thing. So I think I think um, esoteric I th parts of runes are there undoubtedly, mm -hmm. and there are many parts of that which we we, we are clueless about. Mm -hmm. We can hypothesize, yeah. but yeah. I think it would be even problematic to implement our idea of a distinction between mm -hmm. magic and non-magic, yeah, yeah. which yeah, is so much in our time yeah, yeah. on. 
people who lived in in, in, in the flipping Iron Age, you know, and uh, so, mm. and also, like, I, I, I actually think that the whole discussion about runes, magic versus non-magic, I think it is, it, it's, 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 driven by some weird motivations uh, almost uh, like a like an ancient beef with some prestige or something because yeah. it's it's very inflammatory it's very poisonous yeah. uh, or it used to be extremely yeah. poisonous now it's i think with the with with i think younger set of scholars uh, yeah. are more Open-minded, and of course you have the scandal with with uh, Finnur Magnusson, who who of course made the huge mistake. He was the rock star mm. in in Nordic studies um, in the what was it late 1800s, and of course he did the Runamo case where where he postulated um, that that a set of of carvings was bind runes, and he, he read all of these things into these and. A year after his dissertation of his book of, of what is it, 500 pages, the year after it, it was proven that these are natural cracks in, 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 <laughs> in the mountainside. What yeah. people don't get uh, is that uh, I, I see a lot of people uh, discard Finnur Magnusson without having read the book. The, his dissertation, the first that's only 100 pages. The rest is basically listing up everything we know about runes up until now. Mm. That's the title, basically. And in there is first-hand uh, knowledge that you don't find anywhere else. Stuff that he has seen with his own eyes that has, is now eroded, like Icelandic runes and stuff like that. So. People who, who yeah. laugh at Finnur Magnusson should go back yeah. and actually read his <laughs> book, not only yeah. the Runomo story. Um, yeah. In any case, I think the profession needed at that point, if they are going to survive, we need to cut out folklorism from runology. So mm. it became about philology yeah. instead, exclusively. Okay. I, uh, but now they need to <coughs> switch around. Yeah. If they're going to survive, yeah. They need to switch around and talk about context and everything yeah, around, yeah. or else they're gonna die. Yeah, yeah. No, I think I think the fact that they are uh, driven by language researchers that means, of course, and this is evident. I'm a historian of religion. I look for, I look at religion. They look for, they look at language. Yeah. yeah. And if something is magic, then uh, it's not their field. No. Now, and scholars... They don't relate to it, basically. Yeah. Yep. So, uh, I looked at uh, the appendix for <laughs> Lisbeth Emus' uh, PhD uh, research, where every single runic inscription in the old Futhark is uh, recorded. I counted through all of them with one question. How much of this is text and how much of this isn't? Mm. Now, my assessment was that approximately four, uh, approximately four texts out of ten was clearly not language. Mm. Now, that doesn't mean that it's magic, oh, no. but it means that if you're a ling linguist and you go and look at a material and 40% of, of it is not language, then you shouldn't run and say, oh, that was just faulty attempt to imitate language in order to impress uh, superstitious pe peasants. Because then you are metho methodologically, you are creating sort of a, a circular logic that only mm. serves to protect your own 
your your own primary thesis, which is that it's well, language. Well, wh why put text on one side and non-language on the other side in the exact same number of, of runes? Yeah, or why why repeat a rune many, 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 many times? Mm. Or make a, a, a stick where it says thorn, ur, thorn, ur, thorn, ur, like 60 times. Mm. I mean, you know, well, I mean, we could jump our own over our own shadow and, and kind of claim that, make up a story or create a story that it's not magic. But I think the, the I actually think there is, uh, there is uh, uh, some fairly good indications of rural magic. In any um, case, if you stop asking questions, then yeah. you have a problem, then yeah. you're in deep shit. <laughs> cool. Let me just say uh, one thing uh, to, uh, to you, and it's just a, just a thought, perhaps, and that is, I think that in general, uh, the way that you operate, which is so rooted in animism, while it has this incredible cultural impact, I think, I think we need more people like you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <Probably Well>. <laughs> <laughs> and well, there can only be one Viking Numeroon. <laughs> no, fuck it. Fuck that. No, I think I think um like when I'm meeting these young American uh, ethnomusicology students and all these uh I just want to just like encourage you to consider teaching you might already be be doing that i am doing that in in between when i've time okay. I, okay. I do lectures yeah. and workshops but uh, cool yeah. but like you're not you're not making making uh like teaching young musicians uh, for how to i i think uh, at this point no. <laughs> <laughs> at this point i i i try and just share share my journey uh and and uh hopefully inspire yeah. people to uh, create their own journey. Yeah. Um, I think in any case, teaching in many of these th things, it's, 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 a, it's a path you need to walk yourself. Um, someone can only uh, point the direction mm. um, uh, and highlight a, yeah. a path or, yeah. or something like that. It's, um, yeah, or learn how to mm -hmm. learn, teach yourself. Yeah. But I think that pointing could also be important and yeah anyway I, I just I, I just like when a couple of times that we met and, and when I listened to you here I had that feeling of that you are basically approaching you're getting so close to basically doing indigenous knowledge scholarship and that means that that uh, yeah it just means that there is there's such a potential for for I don't know bringing it out but it, it, was, it was just an idea <laughs> thank you so so much Thank you for uh, taking the time here again and uh, showing us this, us this amazing place here. Yeah. My God, this is uh, an absolutely stunning Norwegian sacred site from uh, Viking Age or Iron Age. This is uh, Iron Age. This okay. uh, or it's it's been around for 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 a, a lot. Yeah, throughout the whole Iron Age, perhaps. Uh, yeah. It started out pre-Viking Age a little yeah. bit, um, but yeah, let's thank this um, this beautiful uh, beech tree that we're sitting uh, on top of its beautiful roots. Oh, yeah. Thank you very it's been much. Been a pleasure. Man. Definitely. Or. Fanden det man siger på engelsk? Iguamenti siger man på portugisisk. <laughs> Thank you very much for uh, for joining us here, and uh, yeah, I'll see you again sometime. Yeah, it's Definitely. been a pleasure.
pleasure. Pleasure meeting you too, man. Yeah, I can give you language.